Welcome back to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and I am recording this after the conversation that you'll hear as part of today's episode. And I'll be joined in the conversation by Jason, as usual, and then by a couple of special guests for today's conversation. And so I just wanted to give this brief introduction before we jump into to the episode and, and the topic of conversation for today. Last week, Jason and I had a conversation about truth and stemming from Jesus' statement that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we kind of focused on that idea of Jesus' truth and, and then kind of some some conversations about truth that that came out of that. And I mentioned as part of that episode that, you know, it might lead to another conversation or or may kind of spin off into another topic. And and so today's episode is in fact a, a spin-off episode of sorts from that conversation. It's not so much a second part of the conversation, but but we think there are some connections because at times it seems like there's this thought that faith and science are somewhat at odds with each other and, and perhaps even contradictory. And so some might have this conscious or unconscious belief that that we have to choose between these two, that we have to choose our truth, that we can believe in science or we can have faith. But we don't, we don't believe that that is actually the case. And so we wanted to explore the relationship between science and faith with a couple of special guests and talk about how we can be people of faith who also value and respect science. And, and also then to think about how how knowledge of science might actually strengthen our faith and should, in fact, strengthen our faith. And so I hope that you are encouraged by our conversation today and by the perspective of our guests. I know that I particularly enjoyed hearing from them and, and from what they had to share and from their own personal stories and, and experiences. One of our guests will, will be very well known to our Vine family members, and, and the other is probably not known at all to most of our people. And so we're going to get into that conversation and Jason will introduce today's guests and then we'll hear from them and, and dig into this topic of science and faith. Okay, today we're, uh, Warren and I are glad to have a couple of guests to talk about uh, this topic of, of science and faith. Uh, first of all, uh, we have Dr. Terry Rasco. Uh, Terry is a, a family physician and formerly the vice chair of the Department of Family Medicine at Baylor Scott and White Hospital in Temple, Texas. He has 30 years uh, of experience in primary care medicine and currently serves as the chair of the Department of Telemedicine at Baylor Scott and White. Uh, he's been a member of many years and currently serves the church as uh, one of its elders. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Very good to be here. Thank you. Uh, and then we also have Dr. Julie Krug. Uh, Dr. Krug is the founding program director of the Master of Science in Occupational Therapy program at the University of uh, Mary Hardin Baylor in Belton, Texas. She previously taught occupational therapy at the University of Missouri, Columbia for several years before coming to UMHB in 2017. Uh, Julie currently attends uh, Vista Community Church in Temple and is married and has uh, three young adult children. Uh, Julie, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, yeah, we're we're glad that, that y'all are 
or have taken time and, and appreciate you taking time to join us for this conversation. We think this is a a worthwhile, a timely conversation, and also something that that is interesting at least to us. And so we're we're appreciative of of y'all jumping on here and and just discussing some of this with us. And so I think we're going to start. Let's just start kind of broadly with this topic. And and I'm curious if if you will each, Julie and, and Terry, kind of share some of your personal uh, story and experiences. And and so, Julie, if, if, if you want to maybe kick us off, what do you kind of see as the relationship between science and faith? And, and how has that looked in your own life and in your own kind of career journey and faith journey? Sure. Um, well, I would say the first 10 years of my career journey, there there was no faith journey. So they were very oh, separate. Oh, interesting. Um, so, um, I, I really honestly didn't, didn't consider faith very often about a whole lot at all. I just looked at everything as science and this was the way it was, but never really engaged in any conversation about one versus the other. Um, um, and then, um, when I was in my early thirties and, um, became a Christian, um, I started seeing things through a completely different lens. So I actually science started making more sense to me when I became a Christian than it did before I understood Jesus and, and the love of Jesus and, 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 you know, and the love of the world and, and those kinds of things. So, um, I think in the last 20 years now, I would say that, um, that it's hard for me to view science as anything but the work of the Lord. Um, um, because I, it's hard for me to think that all of these things that are just randomly came to be. So, um, I, I, I told Jason before I, I said I would uh, do this podcast that, that I'm by no means a biblical scholar. Um, I am, am very much a, a just very practical human being that, that sees the Lord in everything around me. And that includes, um, everything in my profession and my practice and, um, so that's, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Good. Thank you. So what, what was it that, that kind of brought you to faith then? Uh, a marriage crisis, honestly. Um, oh, okay. um, I, I finally acknowledged through a marriage crisis that I was suffering from, um, major depressive disorder. Um, mm. finally got a diagnosis, finally got on some medication and I read a book, um, that's called Conquering Depression, and I failed to, to be able to recall the authors right now, but it was a, a very uh, a faith-based book, and it made more sense to me than anything I had probably ever read in my whole life. Um, and it was through that book that I, was, I came to faith. I came to know Jesus. I came to accept Jesus, and, and that was the start of it all for me. Oh, wow. So was that here while you, while you were living here that all that happened? That was somewhere else? Yeah, that, okay. Uh, yeah, that was in Missouri. In mm-hmm. Missouri. Okay. So how did that process go for you? Did, did you, you see, so did you go from that book to kind of, did you start exploring that with other people? Did you just kind of start reading scripture on your own? What, what did kind of that look like as you grew? So I, I read the book. Um, and then my um, husband and I went to a Christian counselor who then gave me some additional resources to read and suggested that we attend the church that then we attended for the next 18 years until we came here. Oh, wow. Um, um, and, and being a part of that church and a, a member of that body of Christ and 
um, and then serving in that church. And, and you know, I, I helped develop a ministry in the church and all of those things that helped me just increase my understanding of, of the Lord. And, and, um, uh, and it just kind of just, just went from there, just being around other people who, who helped me and supported me and loved me through all of my questions and um, that still continue, by the way, all the time. And um, <laughs> Um, really supported me in in my journey so that's great uh, I, terry I want, I want to bring you in in just a second but just kind of one more question there before we move off that too much you you julie you said that science made more sense after coming to know jesus basically is, is what I, I kind of heard you say there uh can you talk about were there specific things that you learned or experienced about jesus that that sort of helped uh helped make science make more sense because that's interesting to come to know you know i think a lot of times in the church we think about people who know faith kind of first and then are trying to make sense of science but yours is kind of flipped mm -hmm. and so and so that's i was just curious were there things about jesus or ways that you experienced faith that that made you think oh this now makes more sense in the scientific world um i think for me understanding um the lord not as the the puppeteer um um that that he that he, he knows what's going to happen. He knows the, the good and bad choices I'm going to make and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and, um, and allows me to do that, to learn more about him and draw closer to him. And I started thinking about that. And then I started thinking about, um, the, the, the body, I, it, it really starts with the human body for me because that in occupational therapy, we're, we're so connected to the human body and the human brain and, and the senses. And, and you look at how unbelievably, um, perfectly orchestrated every system of our body is mm. and um, and how easily those things can be um, um, set off right and and mm -hmm. that they're no longer functioning well and um, and and then I started thinking about my body as as this gift from the Lord and and how um, how the earth is a gift from the Lord and I think I started paralleling the earth to my body which may sound really weird and again that might be backwards too Warren I'm not sure no, I think it's good. <laughs> but I'm not a traditional thinker I don't think um, and then I you know and then you think about the, the Big Bang and, and and evolution and all of that and in it makes no sense to me that that our bodies being orchestrated by the Lord, that all of that had to be orchestrated by the Lord as well. That's great. Yeah. And, and so can you maybe, it may be helpful for some people. Can you just kind of give a brief description of occupational therapy sure. or, or what you, what you kind of, what that entails? Sure. Occupational therapy is a, it's a science driven profession. Um, we've been around for over a hundred years. Uh, we are, we fit into the rehabilitation professional team. So um, what, what occupational therapists do is, is we um, work with people who are experiencing either a change in their, their status in terms of ability to engage in their meaningful life activities that has occurred because of some type of injury or illness or um, someone who's never been able to acquire those things because of something congenital um, you know, um, that they were born with, what have you. And we look at the tasks and we look at the environment and we look at the individual and we figure out where the mismatch is and we help to create a match, whether that's building up the body, building up the brain, um, modifying the environment, modifying the task or all of those things together so that people can engage in the things that are important to them in their everyday lives. That's great. Thank you. And, and I think with that kind of in mind, yeah, that helping to see this kind of uh, how everything is, is, is kind of put together by this divine 
being and how, how our bodies are orchestrated in that way and put together and how everything affects everything yes, else exactly. Yeah, would seem to, to be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. All right. Well, uh, Terry, let's kind of bring you in now and kind of get your perspective because I think there, there may be some interesting kind of differences between your story and Julie's story because I know your, your experience with faith was, was probably very different in, in growing up in, in a Christian home and kind of always having faith as part of your story. And so I'm curious, Terry, if you can kind of speak to, to just your, your perspective of, of the relationship between science and faith for you and, and how that has looked like in, in your own life. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I really appreciate Julie's uh, witness to that statement, you know, because that was life transforming. And and I think there's times when I wish I would have had that revelation moment, you know, the, the Paul on the road to Damascus moment of the bright light and the flash, and suddenly I get it. And for me, it's been certainly more of a process and a journey and just the experiencing how to incorporate faith into my medical practice. Um, so I trained, uh, you know, as, as uh, I think we've said before, a number of decades ago. So I'm 30 years into a practice now and just transitioned out of primary care where I was a full-time family physician and started with the full, as we say, womb to tomb practice of delivering babies, taking care of newborns, all the way up through our senior patients in the nursing home and end of life issues. Um, And when I trained, there wasn't a lot of teaching or mentoring on how to incorporate faith or uh, a witness of faith into your daily practice. The thought was that, you know, if a person is coming to you, they're coming because they want medical science uh, at their disposal. They want that kind of information. They don't want a sermon. They don't want you to impose your belief system on them. And it was thought to be just too shaky of ground to delve into. And you'll see still some physicians still have that belief. But I think there's more and more conversations and good evidence that when you can work within your own faith system and also uh, understand and work within the patient's faith's belief systems, that the outcomes are always better. Hmm. Uh, And that hasn't always been the case with me. Again, it was, I started in saying, okay, I have my faith, but then I have my medical practice. And those are like two separate boxes. and, And I try not to blend them because I don't want to, quote, contaminate my medical advice with my faith beliefs that may be in, you know, in contradiction to their faith beliefs. So like offering to pray for a patient, that's only something that in, in the last decade or more that I've been more willing to do. Um, but I still, I think what I've learned to do is have those subtle things like maybe um, in my previous practice, I had pictures of like Noah's Ark and other things on the wall so that they have a fairly universal theme to it, you know, anyone who had probably had twins in their family probably had the two by two kinds of things on their walls and the Noah's and most children know that story. And I don't think it intimidates people. It's kind of a dark story though. Once you well, learn yeah, about it, it is about mass murder, office. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we won't go into that. It's about the happy animals that, you know, Noah rescued, you know, and how they all were happy on the ark together. Uh, so none of the drowning people were included in that in that image. No, no, no. They didn't write the stories <laughs> after that. So, uh, but uh, but that would often invite 
further exploration. Or I've learned to say, you know, when someone is in a crisis, um, say, do you have anyone you can turn to? Do you have a friend? Do you have a minister? Do you have uh, Mm -hmm. anyone that you could turn to for uh, uh, guidance on this? Or I can set you up with someone uh, internally, if that's the case. Um, And again, I think most of us realize that at least the practice of medicine, the way it's done is say in primary care is you've got one foot in science, but one foot in behavioral medicine all the time. You know, I think most of us are familiar with that concept of placebo effect, which means if my expectations are that this is going to work, there's a better chance it will work. But there's the contrary to that too, that most people haven't heard of, which is that the negative side of that, which is technically called the nocebo effect, which is if I think it's not going to work and I think it may actually harm me, then there's a greater chance that will be the outcome. And so working within someone's belief system is actually crucial to get the best therapeutic effect uh, for that individual. So it really does behoove us as clinicians to understand at least in some part someone's faith uh, system and interestingly now that also includes their faith in science (laughs) as well (laughs) and so you know and uh, we hear that term uh, you know many people may say well I don't go to a church anywhere but in Central Texas most people have some kind of a spiritual awareness whether they attend church or not Uh, what's somewhat new to me though is uh, kind of a, a backlash, at least against certain aspects of science. I, I really don't think anyone in our society is truly anti-science across the board, but they may reject scientific evidence in certain aspects that, uh, that they disagree with. And so, again, there's that exploration with patients as well. Are you comfortable? So it's, it's a collaborative approach. It's always a collaborative approach uh, in that relationship. Yeah, that's good. And so I'm, I'm curious, Terry, because I know you and I have had conversations about ways in which um, I think each of us have had kind of parts of our, our faith or, or our view and interpretation of Scripture have, have shifted over time, which I think is, is true of a lot of people at the Vine, that we've kind of come to different thoughts on, on certain um, beliefs, uh, you know, thoughts on worship practices, uh, interpretation of Scripture, whatever it may be. And, and there are different things that have kind of brought, brought each of us to kind of the, the places that we are now. And, and so I'm curious, as, as you went through kind of your studying and, and, and learning for your, your career, your profession as a, as a doctor, were there things that, that you encountered along the way there that, that maybe challenged or, or even maybe seemingly contradicted your faith? And, and if so, how did you kind of navigate that? I think uh, it kind of hit me in the face early on. Um, uh, even I was at Baylor University for my undergraduate, and so it's a, obviously a faith-based college, but you know, taking like geologic sciences, uh, or even some of the, the basic biologic sciences. And so, of course, they're all the language of evolution, uh, uh, you know, in a, a very old earth are totally woven within that entire scientific field. Mm-hmm. And that was not anything that I had been exposed to uh, in my home church back in Houston growing up. Right. Uh, there was still that tension, especially when it had to do with issues of evolution, creation, 
things like that. So, and so me reconciling that in in just an undergraduate, I it start me on the, started me on this course of okay. Either I'm going to reject this, or I'm going to reject my my basic faith understanding, and I chose not to reject either, but to come to a different understanding of how to interpret that. Be, that being, and this is my own belief, is that there is an absolute truth, but we have a very limited ability to always understand that truth, and depending on where we are in our walk, our our knowledge. Uh, our culture, you know, we're going to approach it with a different lens. And so uh, at least my approach to faith and science is that they can be in harmony and in fact should be in harmony with one another. And if one tends to be opposing the other, then it's likely that I've probably misinterpreted the information on one side or the other or both. Um, Hmm. uh, So uh, for example, I see people try to use hard science to prove different aspects of faith, such as I've seen studies that look at, say, the power of prayer, uh, say, in end-of-life issues. And while you can do that and you can see a positive effect, I think then it, it, you, the science really, you can't use science to say, well, that effect is due to God having a merciful healing in that person's life. I, I think you can say that, yes, mm-hmm. prayer has a positive effect in that situation. You just can't uh, attribute what that positive effect is from. And, and that's where the faith aspect comes through. In fact, I think some way it tarnishes our faith when we start doing these, quote, scientific experiments to try to prove whether faith works. And, and I don't think that really convinces anyone. Um, yeah. And I, I would be interested to know what Julie's experience is. But when issues come up where you have to really sway a patient that this is the best course for them, that sometimes facts, figures, data, that, you know, you don't you don't want to oppose a, a, a wealth of information that's out there. But really what is the most powerful is personal testimony that, they know someone who did this and it worked for them, or I did this myself and it worked for me. And so again, that that more personal testimony of how it's impacted me for the better, I think is more pers- persuasive than facts, figures, and data out there. And I don't know, Julie, does that come up in occupational medicine where you're trying to convince people that it's really worth the effort to do this. And they're like, I've had this condition for years. You can't help me. All I need is medicine. I think it comes up probably certainly not as much as it comes up for you, right? Um, We're typically not dealing with life, end of life issues and and things like that. Although sometimes, but, but not often. Um, Usually we're more in involved um, uh, in a rehabilitative sense, as opposed to a quality of life sense, largely, Due to our payer system in this country, which is a different story for a different day and probably a completely different podcast, but <laughs> but um, but but spirituality in itself is a component of our practice act, and and because spirituality um, um, and and in occupational therapy, spirituality encompasses religion is not interchangeable with religion, so that you can be spiritual and not be a Christian or um, um, you know, or ascribe to some other very specific religion or religious base. Um, but what we know is that people who have a, a spiritual 
um, side, they, they involve themselves in spiritual occupations, if you will, occupations being those meaningful activities to them, um, that, that if we um, are aware of that and can tap into that, that we can actually help people engage more fully in their therapeutic programming. Um, um, I can't think of any specific time where, you know, somebody said, well, people will certainly say, I don't need therapy. I just need a pill or I need the doctor, that sort of thing. But, but I've really not seen that come up so much in terms of faith versus medicine. Mm -hmm. Well, I was curious, Julie, just from your kind of personal, kind of going back to your personal experience, because you had said that it was really kind of faith that brought you, or, or I guess a marriage crisis that brought you to faith. But it sounded then like it was kind of, it was both kind of, you know, going through some, working through some things with a, a counselor, therapist that helped you get through that, but also faith that helped you get through that as well. Is, is that accurate? Oh, that's absolutely accurate. Yes. And so it was holding, it was holding both of those, right? Yes. yes um, and so I, I think that's important for us to remember again, for, for some of us who, you know, who, for, for whom faith has always just been part of life. I think one of the, I don't know if it's a struggle, but just kind of aspects of life that that brings up is that it's, you know, there's no knowledge of what life was like without faith. And so it's not like, you know, here's kind of the baseline of my life, right? And, and this is, this is what happens when I have faith. And this is what happens in, you know, it happened in my life when I didn't. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it can be difficult to kind of go through that sometimes of, okay, so here's how faith has impacted me versus how something else has impacted me. And, and I, I don't know if that really makes sense, but, but that's kind of a thought that I've had. Um, and, and whereas just for, for in your experience to, to come into that in that moment of crisis, um, I would think maybe there were moments of, of clarity of this is how faith helped me navigate through this. Is that accurate? Yeah. So, in hindsight, um, I can I can name at least four very specific times when I know the Lord was pulling me to Him, mm. and I pushed back. In hindsight, I see that. Um, so this is before this this crisis before, that you spoke right, of, right? When I was in my my teens and in twenties, and um, and it was again for me it wasn't um, you know. A, it, Anything that had anything to do with atheism or being agnostic, I, I believe that there was a God. I just didn't have a relationship with them. I didn't, I didn't understand that there was more than just believing there was a God because I didn't grow up in that kind of a home, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, so when, when I think back to those times and I, and I think how, how profoundly now that I recognize that that was the Holy Spirit um, and, and, and that I kind of just, ignored it and moved on. And, and, you know, and I am a person that, you know, I like control. I'm one of those controlled people. <laughs> I like to think that, you know, man, I've gotten through all these things in my life all by myself because I didn't have a lot of parental support and, you know, that's hogwash and I get that now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, it, it's, I have been in my life able to share those kinds of experiences. Um, um, maybe less so with clients, than with um, with colleagues, where I have really been able to share these are the, these are the things that that really pulled me to faith, and this is the difference now to what I thought then. Mm. Um, and and those kinds of conversations have been really rich. I I don't know that that has come up as often in in my personal practice, sure. other than with people who 
for example, I had a gentleman that I worked with um, who had ALS, um, which as you know, is a terminal disease. And um, I got to know him and we became friends. And, you know, I was with him from for the last year and a half of his life and his wife and his three children and, and that sort mm. of thing. And, and those conversations certainly would come up there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Warren, I uh, just had a thought as we were talking and, and Julie touched on it somewhat is just kind of in a very broad sense, uh, at least for me, it's uh, the faith and science are essentially two ways to address an issue. You know, they, I use science a lot of times to address the how issue. How am I going to get better? Uh, well, we're going to do this. Or how do I know this? Well, we're going to use maybe experimentation and data to help us understand this better. But the why questions, you know, really tend to dig into your faith. Why did this happen? Why did, you know, why I'm a good person? Why is this happening to me? Why is this loved one dying uh, and God's not intervening or someone's not intervening? You know, why why does this happen? But just kind of in general, in in you know, and that's just more of a broad way. And it breaks down when you get down into the real granular level. But just the why questions, I think, really, we tend to dig into our faith more. And the how questions, um, at least on a day-to-day basis, uh, using more scientific principle, scientific method, helps me understand, kind of separate wheat from chaff sometimes of, well, there's all these ads that this works, but is there any data to really show that it works? And, you know, I, I would I would hate to live in a world where we had no data and no science and everything was just a, a testimonial and the loudest voice was what what yeah. convinced you. And it sounds like kind of from what both of you are saying that that while for for Julie, um, the coming to faith helped make more sense of science. Uh, Terry, would you say that the opposite is, is true for you, that, that as you learned and grew in, in kind of your field and, and in science, that that helped make more faith of, make more sense of faith and, and kind of, you believe you've, you've come to a deeper and richer understanding of scripture as a result of that? I think so. I think maybe kind of the classic example is reading through Genesis. And I think my basic, you know, Sunday school knowledge, which really didn't change much until college uh, was, you know, Genesis was almost a historical document, you know, written uh, in the same way I would write as like a, as a a journalist, you know, I'm recording the actual historic data-driven events that occurred. And then as I actually went back and looked at that genre of writing and, and looked at the beauty and the poetry and just uh, all the way in you know, the Hebrew and then in the Greek, that that's written out. I mean, it's just a much richer experience. That doesn't mean there's not truth there, but it doesn't mean the truth has to hinge on Genesis being used as a how document. It's a why document. Yeah. Uh, now, and again, uh, I think there are historical elements in there for sure, but my entire faith does not hinge on interpreting it as a historical, factual document uh, that I don't think that was the purpose of why that was written. Yeah, that's interesting because so almost as if holding both kind of faith and science means, I, you know, not necessarily having to view Genesis as a scientific <laughs> explanation of something, that it's it's more than that, it's deeper than that, it's it's richer than that. 
Um, yeah, exactly. And that, that's not to say that there's nothing that you can't tease out and that overlaps sure. with science. I think there's a number of things in there that we can find to be true, but it's almost incidental to that's me that, yeah. oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Like when I read in Job, Job talks about, astronomy's in the news now because of the comment, you know, Job talks about, you know, the Pleiades, the, you know, the constellation of the Pleiades and, and, you know, the circle of the earth and things like that. And so you can tease those scriptures out. But Job was not written to be a document that we could say that this happened exactly the way it's written, again, almost in a journalistic style. No, it's, it's a story meant to convey a truth. Uh, right. uh, someone once said that we read nonfiction for facts, but sometimes we read fiction for truth. You know, mm-hmm. and that's because truth often is facts wound into a larger narrative. An isolated fact, if someone says someone needs to speak truth into this conversation, rarely do they mean that you're going to solve it by standing up and quoting scientific formulas. Two plus two equals four. Well, that's true, but that is not the truth that needs to be spoken into that situation. It needs to be something that, that speaks to a larger narrative of what's going on. Yeah. Not just facts. Yeah, that's good. Um, I want to read something that, that Jason had said kind of in our our discussions about this leading up to this conversation today was he said, a, a healthy amount of doubt is necessary for truth to emerge in science, but it may also be necessary for faith. Uh, and so I'm curious if either of you have, have thoughts on that or Jason, this was this was kind of your thought. So feel free to jump in here as well on this one. Uh, can you kind of talk about the concept of doubt as it is it applied as it is applied to science, and then if you have kind of reflections there on how it could also then be applied to to faith or how you have experienced it in in your own faith? Um, doubt has been an incredibly important part of my life uh, as a you know as someone who values and appreciates and and engages with science, um, but it also has been a, an important part of my faith journey as well. Um, and there have been times where um, where I, I was afraid that doubt may cause me to undervalue or overvalue science or faith. Um, but I think I, I've come to the point in my life where I've realized that, that it actually makes both stronger. So in, in what Warren said, uh, is true that, that that is something that I, I commented on. I kind of hedged my bets, I guess, by using the word may be important or necessary for faith. I, I think I actually believe that it is. Um, that that I, I don't know that I should qualify it with the word may. And the reason for that is because doubt is what causes someone to keep pursuing truth in my mind. That, that doubt is something that if I, if, well, let me put it this way. If I don't have doubt, uh, then I have certainty. And if I have certainty, then I no longer have curiosity. I no longer have the uh, impetus to continue looking, to continue studying and continue searching. And I think that that is true of faith as well as for science. So that, that's just kind of where I was coming from with that. Yeah, I, I've heard it recently by some of the actual scientists say that, you know, ignorance is not the enemy of truth. It's the illusion of knowledge that sometimes is the enemy of truth. Right. And that when you think you know the truth, you stop looking, as you said. And so I think hmm. 
maybe doubt might be a word that people would struggle with, but I think continually questioning and examining your beliefs, uh, I think that's good. We see that, you know, in Scripture where uh, it says that the Berean church, you know, they were more noble because they examined the Scriptures all the time to make sure that what Paul was saying was true. You know, it's like, you know, well, we trust you to a point, but, you know, we're going to examine the Scriptures to make sure that what you're saying is actually true. And and in this sense of the truth shall make you free, I think is also true in science that just because a scientific paper espouses a view does that does not mean it's true. Uh, you know, we I think I think that's been difficult because with the pandemic, you see science being created real time often. And it's like watching, you know, as they say, watching legislation being made and sausage being made kind of both leave you wanting to never have either in your life. And seeing science being made is very messy, too, because you see information being thrown out there and saying, we did a study of 15 people and they seem to get better when we did this. And, you know, the, the science would be that's not enough evidence that I mean, that that's curious. That's a question. I think it begs the question of, you know, you know, we need to explore this. But then everyone kind of hinges their hopes on something. And, and again, science takes a while. Uh, you know, we think about these great discoveries, but rarely do they occur quickly. Uh, and when they do occur quickly, they're rarely endorsed quickly. And so we're, we're really moving at light speed with because of the pandemic, but science is very messy right now. And I think it's those that tend to distrust science or scientists uh, or authoritarian voices per se, um, they, they have a lot of evidence now that they can go back and say, well, you said this three months ago and that was clearly wrong. So why should I believe you now? I think part of the problem is, and I think this is a problem within faith as well as in science, is that if we don't properly understand what we are experiencing or what we're observing, we run the risk of over-extrapolating its meaning. And so a scientific paper may make a particular claim, uh, well, okay, that, that, that paper and that claim may in fact be true in every sense of the word, with the specific safeguards and the particular uh, in in the particular environment that it, in which it was done. Now, of course, the point is to extrapolate somewhat from that, but how much we extrapolate and how how far we take that um, is it, you know it, is risky is a, a bit of a question. Same thing with faith. I can read something in the Bible that gives me an element of truth. But I have to understand that that truth, am I looking at God's truth or am I looking at the particular truth of a people in a time and in a certain place? I think, Jason, what, what, what I hear when I hear you say that, and I was thinking about this when Terry was speaking as well, is it's about interpretation, right? Yeah. So you can take um, um, the social distancing guidelines that were initially put out by the CDC and you've seen them interpreted and put into practice in very different ways, right? Right. Same thing with the Bible. You know, I can read a passage of the Bible and and I read it in a completely different way, emphasizing different words with a different tone as, as you know, I'm reading it than you. And we may interpret that two different ways, which is why we have so many of these, you know, um, um, you know, churches that have different stances on some of the hot topic issues right now, you know, gay marriage and and 
all of those kinds of things, right? Well, the, um, the slavery, big one right now, right? You know, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, how are we interpreting it? So we're, we're trying to interpret science and we're trying to interpret faith and, and you know, and what the Bible, what, what the research article says and what the Bible says and, um, and two people could read them and make it fit whatever their schema is or their lens is at the current time to work for them. And that's a huge challenge. Yeah, and I think maybe a, a word that at least is one that I don't always use the word doubt but I often will use the word humility, that I have to be very humble in my beliefs and know that chances are at least some aspect of anything I believe may be wrong. Uh, because just my life experience tells me that things that I believe strongly, there's probably some aspect that is going to change and modify over time. And, you know, I do try to balance that, though, with uh, there's scripture that says you don't want your faith to be like a ship in a storm blown here and there by every wave of new uh of new evidence that comes out so you need an anchor in your in your faith uh but it shouldn't be so anchored that when the storms come it wrecks your ship uh because um you know you've anchored uh you've anchored very shallow and you're in deep water now so um yeah. but uh, humility, I think, is needed on both sides, both in my spiritual beliefs, uh, how I interpret scripture, and also certainly in my science beliefs, because uh, very often those get uh, changed and modified over the years. Well, I, and I think humility is a good word to use there, um, because I think in both science and faith, we always have to be open to the possibility that a new day will provide a new truth that calls into question assumptions I've made that I thought were true, but were more just my assumptions. Yeah, I, we have these schematics in our brain, these shortcuts. I mean, and you have to, you can't, you, you know, we use this term analysis paralysis. If I don't have any routines, any shortcuts, any ways that I can analyze a situation quickly, I, I can't get through my day. I have to have ways of shortcutting decision-making. But those schematics are only good to a point because they're all based on a simplistic view of reality. And, and I think trying to disconnect or to understand that almost everything I view as fact is probably a schematic of the reality underneath that fact, or at least the way I view it. Uh, again, science, my faith, uh, how I interpret scripture, we all do through, so through a certain lens or in, or in religious terms, a certain hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and I think that was that was great imagery that that Julie kind of offered for us of 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 just that of of how we think about hermeneutics when it comes to yeah faith and uh, science or, or social things or or whatever it is that we might find and how we go about interpreting all of those things and and I I, I think that that imagery of humility I do think is 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 helpful and important as we as we navigate our way through all of those and and just all the there there are so many it seems like conversations that that we are sort of um that that, that come up that that we have to consider and and think about in in that way and and yeah if if I'm just kind of digging in my heels and and unwilling to consider anything outside of my personal experience or or kind of the truths that I am kind of holding on to at at this point then then it's going to it's going to make that not only challenging, but it's going to make 
it's going to make life incredibly frustrating in the modern modern world. It seems like, um, and and especially now in this season of of kind of you know everything, as you said, Terry, it's it's happening in real time. Science is is kind of happening in real time, and and some of this will will look a lot clearer. I'm sure looking back ten years from now, but but right in the moment, we're we're kind of having to navigate navigate our way through it and and learning all of those things on the fly as we go. And and so something that I think has kind of been mentioned or, or alluded to in some of our conversations so far is is this idea that that it does feel like sometimes there's there's a thought that we have to choose between science and faith and, and that sometimes those those things can at least kind of be communicated or 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 talked about in ways that would uh, kind of feels like they're they're contradictory at least for for some people and and so I'm curious from from y'all's perspective uh, and because in and you know Terry you even mentioned at one point that you know there there are those who tend to distrust science and that can be for a variety of reasons whether it's as you said kind of an aversion to just any authority figure or or kind of person in power saying something I'm just going to resist that and um, you know, we see that a lot now with conspiracy theorists and, and things like that that come up. So it could be just kind of a, a, a view like that. It could be for faith or, or religious reasons that there's a kind of a distrust of the of science or, or pushback against that. And so uh, I'm curious, kind of, if if y'all have have experienced sort of resistance to to certain scientific facts or ideas within Christian community. And then how you kind of go about encountering that resistance or, or maybe trying to, to speak to that resistance from your perspective. Something that would occur occasionally is I had a, a, uh, a fairly large number of patients of mine that uh, were of the faith of the Jehovah Witness faith and um, had a very good relationship with them. Sometimes we would even talk scripture just at, more for me out of curiosity of how do you interpret this or things would come up and it would be enjoyable conversations um, uh, either in the office or even sometimes just through email. Um, but the, you know, a common uh, aspect of that faith is that, you know, this, this prohibition in scripture of consuming blood uh, is interpreted to mean no blood products in any means at all, not just orally, but, you know, intravenously. And so as, you know, they interpret scripture, that means I can't receive blood products, even if it would be life-saving. And so I know I have physician colleagues that, you know, especially if they're a surgeon and they're going to be operating on this individual, they would say, I, I'm sorry, I cannot operate within that belief system. It puts you at risk. I'm not willing to be a per- a participant in that. And then others that say, you know, we've the chance of you needing blood is so small that we will do everything possible. But I guess if it push came to shove, um, you know, I need to know what you want me to do in that situation. Do you truly want me to let you die? Or, uh, you know, do you want me to have this conversation again later? Uh, but there are those systems, those, those systems of beliefs that do make it a little harder sometimes. But many times I think I can operate within a belief system. Uh, it was not uncommon at all for parents who had different views of vaccination than I did and who came to me because I was willing to work within their belief system not by compromising my beliefs but trying to find some middle ground um, 
as opposed to maybe another practitioner that said, uh, I'm sorry, if you won't re- if your child does not receive all of the recommended vaccinations, I can't have you in my practice. Uh, but those are just two of the um, settings that I've seen where there's pushback. And, and I wonder, Julie, do you see that very often in, in occupational settings? But Probably not as often. Um, uh, we, we tend, you know, we're, we operate a little less of the medical model just based on, on who we are um, collectively as a profession, not maybe individually. But anyway, um, I, I have had some experience in, in Missouri. We had a relatively large Amish community that was nearby and, 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 and different um, people who, who align with, with different, I don't know what the right word is, sex of the Amish, Amish community have different kind of levels of acceptance of technology and, and those kinds of things. And, and um, right now, there are many, many um, uh, intervention strategies that are very beneficial, particularly for people that have neurological challenges after stroke or what have you that involve technology that are evidence-based that, you know, that the science tells us that, you know, these are the best things to use if you really want to regain movement in, you know, your arm, that sort of thing. And so some of our folks would just say, no, we, we won't do that. And this is the reason why. And I would explain the science and it doesn't matter. Um, um, but we would do that anyway. And then we'd come up with something as similar as we could that fit within their belief system to try to achieve the same, the same end. So um, um, that really is, is the main kind of challenge that we would ever see, at least in, in my practices as an OT. So. Warren, I was going to say uh, with you and Jason, I, I, I would, I think Julie as well would be very interested to know that, you know, as a parent or as a patient yourselves, what, what is it that would actually be most meaningful and helpful when you're in that clinical setting from a clinician? Do you want, you know, what is it that you would find helpful uh, in that setting of trying to blend faith and science and, you know, it's probably easier if that person's faith is similar to your own, but, you know, let's say I'm Muslim and you come in and I'm trying to blend my faith and my science and you, you know, what would you want from that experience? What would you find helpful? Well, you know, I, I think this, this may be somewhat connected to that because I, I think one of the things I thought of when, when Julie was talking was that idea of, of as evidence-based, you know, um, ideas thoughts and and how my hope is that as christians we are not averse to to kind of proven evidence-based things and so i i I think that is helpful for me as a as a parent when when a doctor can say here is here is why vaccines are vaccines are are safe and effective and here's the evidence behind it Um, here you know here is why you know even, you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, when we were making decisions about, you know, birth stuff, here's, here's the, all the science behind epidurals, you know, you can make a choice to do what you want. Um, that was not a, I did not have a hand in that decision. I left that one completely up to Ashley. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I shouldn't insinuate that was our decision. That was Ashley's decision. <laughs> um, and, and so, I, I think that's helpful, and I think you know. I think part of our struggle right now in a social media age is it's hard to know what thoughts are are sort of widely held and what are sort of fringe beliefs. 
but but I've I've sort of have this image that I saw you know early on earlier in this pandemic is in my head as we've been having this conversation of someone holding a sign saying I don't need a mask I have God, and I think that's that's sort of you know and like I say I don't know how mainstreamly that is held and and you see much more adherence to mask wearing now partly because of regulation and and things like that, uh, but but hopefully but also because of buy-in that it's that it's helpful and that there's evidence that this is helpful. And, and it's interesting to me, like where we pick and choose to kind of have that belief that like, I don't need a mask. I have God. Well, the same people probably wear seatbelts, right? And the same people probably acknowledge that there are things that I can do in certain circumstances to take precautions and just to be wise and safe. That don't mean that I lack faith. And I think that's sometimes where we struggle as Christians is if if I'm doing this, does it somehow mean, does it somehow kind of show that I'm lacking faith or that I'm that I'm holding on to something besides faith? And and I do think it's helpful to know that like, no, like this is effective. This is something you can do. And and this is, you know, even affirming of of the ways that God has has equipped us and designed us and, and helped us to be able to to figure out, you know, kind of our natural world and our and our bodies, and and that's what I think is so impressive about occupational therapy is is how we can kind of discover how these things are connected and the ways that our bodies work. And I know that was one of the things in going through kind of training for foster care that was really impactful for me and Ashley was just learning about how how much trauma, especially for kids, affects the brain and the body going forward, and things that you can do to kind of help that and speak to that going forward. And like one of the things that was interesting to me kind of along those lines was, was how much uh, kids who come from circumstances where they are, are, are often in a state where, where they're hungry or don't have a lot of food, how it can be just very important from then on to always know that there's food in the house and, and to be able even to see and to be able to kind of physically touch food and have it easily accessible at all times, even into adulthood. And that's something that, that I would kind of look at from my experience and think, you know, well, no, we're about to eat dinner. You don't need a snack right now. Or, or you know, you know that there's, we have food in the house. You don't have to have it, you know, right next to you or whatever. But to be able to, to step back and to say, well, that's my experience. That doesn't have to be everyone's experience. And there's, there's evidence towards this. And I can look at somebody's story and see that somebody else has a different experience. Um, I think is helpful. And, and I think is just it speaks to the presence of, as Julie kind of was speaking to earlier, that our bodies are orchestrated in, in such intricate fashion. And there's so much that is discoverable. And, and that adhering to those things is actually, actually points to... Um, our our faith and our connection to God instead of away from it. So that was kind of throwing in several thoughts there, but that those have been some of my thoughts, just kind of as we've discussed over the course of this conversation. Yeah, I think you know on that. Uh, I don't need a mask. I have God. I, I I understand where that's coming from, but when you look at say you know examples in Scripture where God moved very powerfully to help His people. There are those cases where God literally does all of the work himself. He basically says, stand still and watch what I'm going to do. And then the other times he says, you know, you need to build an army. You know, you're going to have to fight this, but I'm going to be with you in this battle. Uh, And the instruction was not just sit down and let me do all the heavy lifting. It's you're going to demonstrate your faith through this crisis. Uh, and 
it won't be easy, mm-hmm. but I will be with you through that struggle. And and so it takes some discernment to say, uh, you know, I, I think a probably a good operational rule of thumb is God has equipped us with a lot of gifts, a lot of knowledge, a lot of things that we know to do, um, but God is going to be with us through that. You would not refuse to feed your children saying, well, God gave manna in the wilderness, let him feed my children. Uh, no, that would be silly. Uh, and so, you know, I think we understand that on a basic level. I wonder sometimes if that's code language for saying, I don't want to wear a mask, therefore any reason is as good as another uh, in that situation. Yeah, and that's where I think we would get into different, the lenses and the uh, the narratives that we tell ourselves. Yeah, and sometimes we're just looking for justification for those things, and that would hold true, yeah, across a variety of conversations. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of those people who might say, well, I'm not going to take any action because God's going to take care of it. You know, they, they may accuse others of putting God in a box. Well, you're saying God can't take care of this, can't take care of that. I actually see it in the opposite way. Well, maybe what God did is God gave us masks and he gave us the science and the technology to be able to determine the best course of action to take. And so it's, in my mind, it's hubristic to assume that it has to be something supernatural or something mystical that saves us from this, that no, it could be something as simple as put on a mask when you go outside. It could be something as simple as, you know, stay away from people when you might be, you know, transmitting, uh, you know, aerosols that could be, that could contain the virus. You know, that could be the way in which God is, is intervening here is by giving us science, by giving us knowledge and information uh, that may be verifiable on some level, you know, and, and, and I, I, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's the, it's the story of the man in the coming flood who, you know, says that God will take care of him and God sends, you know, a car to rescue him, a boat to rescue him, a helicopter to rescue him. And then he gets to heaven and he says, God, I thought you were going to rescue me. He's like, well, I sent a car, a boat and a helicopter. What more do you want? You know? And I feel like we have to, that, and this is where I come down on the fact that science and faith don't have to be contradictory because God uses science. Science isn't in opposition to God. Science is from God. God created the universe and therefore God created the, uh, the scientific truths that we discover in the universe. Um, and so I don't, I, I don't think we should, we should undermine that by claiming that, well, I'm going to wait for God when it's from God all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe the example of mask and things like that, maybe one that speaks to me is when, say, when New York City was in just a terrible crisis and there was this call for people to come and assist and, and there was this outflowing of people from different medical specialties and some, you know, whether it was respiratory therapy or nursing, and they went into harm's way. Now, they wore their masks, they wore their protective equipment, although they were having to often recycle, reuse that. They knew it wasn't as effective as they needed to be, but they felt this calling from God to be there and to be intervening in that, even though they knew it put them in harm's way. But there was no expectation that they walked in there just totally exposing themselves. They still did what they needed to do, but they did 
they didn't run from the risk uh, because they counted on God being with them during that. And they, they sensed a true calling from God to be in that situation. Julie, I'm, do you have any thoughts about, I know we've covered several several topics around there, but I've seen you kind of nodding your head. So any, any thoughts or, or additions you've had as we've kind of kicked around some of this? Yeah, um, just in, in hearing Jason's comment about, um, uh, you know, that really God gave us science, right? Ultimately, um, my 18-year-old my daughter and I have this conversation every now and then um, because she's, um, of my three children, she is, is um, the faithful one um, um, who, who holds, holds tight to her faith. And, and, um, so we, we discussed these things and it lately, of course, it's been around COVID, you know, and, and had a, had a conversation about how, um, you know, well, well, these people that are equipped to, to learn this complicated science knowledge and, um, and, and put it together and, 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 and then put it out there that wasn't random. They didn't just randomly, you know, well, they just grew those neurons on their own without any, you know, it just sort of happened, happenstance in the world. Right. And, and, and it, it just seems to me that, that if, if our, if it, it, and again, it, it kind of goes back to where I very first started in this podcast, you know, it, it's, if, if the body, which is so unbelievably designed to the detail um, is created by the Lord, which I can't even see how it could happen in happenstance in any way, shape or form. Then these people who are the scientists whose, whose neurons connect in a certain way that lends them to this type of thought and this type of intelligence, um, it's all by God's design. And again, to me, that doesn't mean that it's orchestrated and he's, you know, he's detailed out the, the notes to make the song, right? But um, he's the one that gives us the capacity to do what we do. And um, so I, I, don't, I don't see why they have to be, why science has to be contradictory either, because I believe the Lord gave us science. Yeah. And, and something else I was kind of curious from your perspective, Julius, because both from your personal story of kind of coming to faith later, but also f- from, from your, 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 your um, profession and career working with occupational therapy is this idea that I do think, I think there are, you know, things that we can point to in nature, in our own life that say this is sort of, yeah, I can look at this. And, and sort of from an evidence-based approach, sort of say, how can, can, any, how can this speak to anything but the existence of a God, right? Uh, but on the other hand, there, there are aspects of faith that we can't prove through science or through research yeah. or through evidence. And, but that's what faith is, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and so how, how have you kind of experienced that as someone coming to faith later in life who kind of started with this kind of evidence-based approach and I'm, I'm curious if if the interconnected interconnectivity of, of the body and knowing about that maybe helped you in any any of that kind of exploration you know honestly um several times through our discussion here today um have the words of of one of my pastors from my church in missouri dave cover just it, it's gone through my head several times and as lord i believe help forgive my unbelief right and 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 he was so helpful for me especially when I was earlier in my faith. And I, I still consider myself very young in my faith, you know, 22 years later. Um, but, but for me, that was ultimately the, 
it's okay to have moments and times and sometimes days and let's be honest, sometimes weeks where you're questioning, well, you know, if this is true, then why, if this is true, then why? And, and, um, and, and, and it all comes back to that's what faith is, 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 is part of faith is having, um, questions and, and not having those questions answered that, that that's faith. And I, I have every confidence that my questions will be answered when my time on this earth is done and they'll be answered in the way they're supposed to be answered might not be my way just like my prayers aren't always answered the way i think they should be <laughs> right um right um but 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 honestly that's really how i've reconciled all of that and and it over time that gets easier and easier for me um you know 10 years ago i would say that i was still terrified of of death um and those kinds of things mm. and i had zero fear of death anymore you know it's because I, I just my, my faith has grown and those questions and doubts get smaller and smaller kind of as my faith gets bigger and bigger but there's always going to be some of it there because that's what faith sure yeah and i i think that that aspect of faith you know understanding the limits of what faith can explain or uh, empirically demonstrate is helpful but i think also on the scientific side is also understanding the limits of what science can explain I mean, we would never try to do a quantitative experiment to measure how much love certain individuals have for another individual. You know, the best we can say is, you know, the child says, mommy, I love you this much. And they extend their arms out, you know, and, you know, for us to do a measurement and say, well, how many inches is that? And, you know, <laughs> but but <laughs> at the ratio, same time, this kind to the rest of the body. That's <laughs> right. That's right. And, and you know, and having a, a double blinded randomized trial trying to measure that would still mean nothing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think sometimes in science, it almost becomes its own religion, that scientism where there's nothing beyond science, so much so that you fail to see your own blinders of saying, you know what, this whole concept that, uh, Julie, you, you mentioned it multiple times, that from this chaos, we now have this delicate, intricate complexity of life that is almost unfathomable as an accident. Uh, and so the only way you can possibly approach that from a scientific method is, well, I've got to, I've got to put a lot of time behind that for that to occur. And even now, there's many scientists saying, you know what, even with that amount of time, it still wouldn't happen. So how else can I explain it? Well, they won't go to faith. And so they go to things like parallel universes, you know, <laughs> the pluriverse and, you know, the multiverse. And it's like, oh, my goodness, is that science? What are we talking about? It's, I think it's easier to believe in faith than it is to believe in multiverse. <laughs> um, and so, again, we see these kind of silly things happening both on the science side and, again, uh, on the religious side of me trying to use science to prove things in my faith that really are more experiential and really science has no language to discuss that or to explain that. Yeah, that there yeah, there there are really limits to both and 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 we we have to kind of acknowledge that. I I was part of a church one time with a guy who was very very scientifically minded and and I remember him often saying, you know, he said I think I think God purposefully made it to where he cannot be proved or disproved through science. And and as you said, Julie, that's kind of the there has to be some element of faith to it, right? And that is the essence of faith, and and that Paul even speaks to you know that that God has made evident, right, who who He is and and His existence through through the natural world and and through creation, and and that I think as people of faith, 
if if we're coming to everything with this idea of faith uh kind of undergirding everything that 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 yeah all of a sudden the interconnectivity of our body does speak to to a creator the the vastness of the oceans and and the grandeur of you know mountains and everything in between speaks to that and and all of those things begin to sing in harmony, I think. Um, and, and the same would hold true for this kind of idea of faith and science, that those things, I think, as we've tried to kind of discuss over the course of this conversation, can, can be in harmony with each other. And so even if it sometimes sounds like they're singing slightly different notes, they, they can be part, part of the same song that's, that's working, into, uh, working in conjunction to lead us forward in, in self-discovery, in discovery of our natural world, um, and in discovery of of God and and who He is, and that's why I love the idea of occupational therapy and how that fits into this conversation, just about the interconnectivity of our bodies, um, because it's something that you know one of our other members here at the Vine, uh, Marcia Moorhead, who's led us through a bunch of stuff, has has I think been trying pretty hard to get us to realize is that you know we we kind of want to be head people a lot of times when it comes to faith but there are just there are aspects of scripture and of faith that have to be felt and and their heart things not head things and and how much all of that is actually connected when it just comes down to it i was going to say just a, a real cool thing warren uh that julie and others have mentioned jason mentioned is this whole idea that you know Studying science is not an abandonment of your faith, that it's a natural part of your faith, uh, that when you look at kind of the details of King Solomon and when God granted him this wisdom, we often think of the wisdom of Solomon more as a, a way to adjudicate things. You know, how do I judge between, you know, this this person's defense versus this person's defense, or how can he be a just king? But God also gave him wisdom involving the natural world and being able to explain the natural world. And that may have been one of the draws of why so many others came to uh, Solomon to hear his wisdom, because God gave him this understanding of the natural world that we often don't speak of. Uh, Again, he was like, one of the original, you know, scientists of his day, being able to explain why things were the way they were. Um, yeah. Well, and to that end, you know, the the three or the the quote unquote three, the the wise men who come visit Jesus are able to figure out where Jesus is because of their knowledge of scientific thought. It seems they're able to kind of figure yeah, their, this out. Their knowledge of astronomy right. and how to interpret. Right. That. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we do see that over the course of Scripture. Uh, and speaking of scripture, there's one note that I wrote down that we didn't get to. I didn't think it really fit in the course of this conversation, but maybe we could tease it out for another time, Terry. Of does Job have to be factual for it to be true? That would be um, that would be something we could explore another time. So <laughs> um, we could get into some of that in another conversation. But thank you, Terry and and Julie, for joining us today. It's been great to have both of your perspectives as as a part of this conversation, and really appreciate y'all taking time to join us when I know. Uh, Julie, in, in the education field, there are a number of challenges and, and crises going on right now for y'all to deal with. And Terry's at the beach down in Galveston. So you've you've both taken <laughs> taken time from other things you could be doing to join us for this. So we really appreciate it. And thank y'all for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, very much enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Yes, it was good and, and enjoyable and, and insightful conversation. So Jason, you you want to close us out and in prayer today? Sure, I'd be glad to. Our Heavenly Father, we um, 
We praise you for your creation, and we exalt you for the ways that you, uh, that you help us learn about your creation. Uh, I thank you for, uh, for the science that you give us and for the truths that you reveal to us, both scientifically as well as in non-scientific means. Uh, God, I ask that you provide uh, all of your people with humility and with patience and curiosity, uh, that we may learn more about you and that we may learn more about your creation, and that instead of looking for conflict and contradictions in that, that we allow one to enhance and inform the other. Uh, again, thank you for the way that you provide for us, the way that you teach us, and the way that, that you continue to guide us to grow uh, in you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.